so many colored leaves. There's the uh, the ski lift ride where you can see miles in every direction. The alpine slide. Uh, amazing restaurants and the breweries have that Lake Superior water. It tastes like no other beer you've had in your life. I cannot wait. You and really have me looking forward to this. Onion rings oh. at Fitkers. Okay, I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, True and Real Stories from the Fringes of Classical Music. So since I moved here to Minnesota, everyone's been talking about how important it is to go up to the North Shore up yep. by Lake Superior. So, uh, Scott, we're going. Uh, this weekend, and yeah, you've already laid out everything that uh, is is uh, you know that I should be looking forward to. If we're lucky, if we're lucky, we'll hear a wolf call at night. Oh, a wolf call! It's possible. I've okay. heard I've heard it once before. It's possible. Well, I, I still have to run to the store to uh, buy myself a nice Minnesota flannel. I want to <laughs> I want to be in costume. So, <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Really looking forward to that trip to the North Shore. You know, again. Learning about the differences, the cultural differences, the physical differences uh, uh, between, you know, the South where I came from and, mm-hmm. and here in Minnesota is, you know, I never get tired of, of learning and, and digging into that sort of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward. And actually on this opus of Triloquy, um, I'm going to give y'all a little taste of the South. So uh, I interview one of my former colleagues, Melanie Dodson. She's the morning classical host down at WUOT in Knoxville. So looking forward to uh, talking with her and, uh, you know, meeting her, um, you know, in in my first radio gig, um, we had a lot of conversations that I had never really thought about before, um, mainly the conversation of gender equity in classical music, really making, uh, really putting, you know, girl power and woman power uh, into the program, and, and it's mm-hmm. something that I never really thought about before I, I uh, met her. So we're going to get into a f- couple of those conversations um, in the interview. But before we get to that, Scott, I wanted to, um, re- you know, make a cover a couple things that Melanie and I talk about in the interview just to give folks a background. I need to move my mic here. Hopefully this doesn't make too much noise. Okay, I think I did a good job. Yeah, you're doing great. All right, so... Um, One of the things that Melanie and I talk about uh, that we reference is a tweet from the artistic director of the Netherlands Radio Philharmonic. And I'm going to read this tweet for you here, Scott. It says, In the 30s, Nazi musicologist Heinrich Bessler fought against the great evil, the Jew. Nowadays, some American musicologists likewise want to purge the world of music. Their great enemy, the white male. So their approach is not just racist, but sexist as well. Progress indeed. And of course, he's being uh, sarcastic there. What, What are your reactions to hearing that? All I can say is equality feels like oppression when you're used to privilege. Mm-mm-mm. You know, what's dangerous to me is that, the, and, uh, and you know, as you'll hear in the interview, I'm not going to name him. I'm not going to give him a shout out. I won't do it here either. But he is in a position of power. This is someone who, you know, has control over programming, what audiences hear and what audiences are exposed to. And we, when we have these conversations, it's not just because we feel like having them. It's not just because I feel like belly aching over something, but there are people in positions of power who, you know, who, who, uh, who have control over portions of this art form, at least how they get out here that hold opinions like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, com- comparing 
Nazis to people who want to see a little more equity in programming. That's a stretch, I think. Um, very definitely a stretch. And the only thing that I can think of is think about everything that we've missed yeah. over the years because of talented composers like Clara Schumann being suppressed. Amy Beach was suppressed. Um, the fact that because of their gender, they just were not given the credence that a male composer was given. What if Beethoven or Mozart were born women? <laughs> we, we wouldn't the, have all it. All of the music is the same. All, you know, we, we just, we probably would never know it. We would not have it. That, that is, I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I really just shudder thinking about that and reading tweets like that. You know, there's only so much I can do without getting in so much trouble on social media. I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm no stranger to that sort of drama. I'm trying to, you know, fight the good fight while keeping my job. So yeah, <laughs> uh, all that to say, if you're listening and you ever see tweets or anything like that, you know, it's up to us. You, you can't feel shy about calling that sort of thing out. And if you are a part of an organization that might have a relationship with another organization that you have a bone to pick with or something, you know, maybe reach out personally. Maybe you don't necessarily have to make it a public thing, but we've been uh, we've let things pass by for far too, far too long. And, you know, I think it's important to to call that sort of thing out as you see it. You know, making change in real time is is so important. I think we've talked about that before, actually. A couple times. Um, and I think that that's a great way to start is that if you have a desire to hear more music by women composers, get in touch with your local station and say, hey, how about some Caroline Shaw for yeah. crying out loud? How about Florence Price? And I want to give a shout out to uh, Mike Friedman in central Ohio sent me a link to a piano concerto in G minor by Ruth Gibbs. And, see, you know, and that's a composer that I hadn't heard of. Do you know? You, okay, so you don't know the name. Um, uh, I understand that she studied with Rayfon Williams for a little bit, so there's sort of that folky influence, but yeah. it's also very cinematic. Um, I'm, I've only listened to it once, and I want to, I want to listen to it like when I have some time to really give some attention to mm -hmm. it. But look it up if you can. And I also want to ask you. Um, one of the things that you talk with Melanie about is the debate between woman and female. Yeah. Uh, what? Why is that important, and and which one is better? Well, as you know, I'll, I'll let you hear Melanie's response to that question in the interview. But for me, I always want to make sure that I am using the most equitable language. Right. And you know, and I've I've read a few uh, feminist uh, books, and and you know, read you know online forums and stuff, just making sure that you know I'm I'm doing my part when it comes to gender equity. And in a lot of those uh, writings, I've read that you know the the word woman is more equitable than female because a woman is a female human so you know saying female composer always felt a little weird to me and and not that you always have to have that qualifier but sometimes the the conversation or the way you're presenting it calls for that mention sure. uh, especially you know a lot of the uh, a, a lot of names of women composers you know you you can't assume you know that well Cecile Chaminade right who I mentioned to Melanie yeah a a, a, a French woman of uh, of last of the 19th century I believe you know so someone hearing me say you know a piano whatever by Cecile Chaminade they might not immediately think that she is a woman so I just I feel like it's important to say you know that you know 
of course I don't back announce or front announce by saying this is music by a woman composer but you know there, there's a way to incorporate that into the conversation right. um, equitably and, and just you know shining light on the fact that look this is a, a composer that we hadn't always heard of because she's a woman because of the culture uh, in that day but now you know we're getting an opportunity to, to explore and give her her flowers even you know even though she's gone physically but you know always always here musically and even more so now because we're getting to celebrate it you know mm-hmm. so I, I guess that's how I, I package that conversation by explaining why gender um is significant especially for classical music uh, of that time you know of the of the 1800s sure well it's easy to uh get into the mindset when you're used to hearing nothing but male names right and then you hear cecile chaminade and you go oh well that's cecil yeah yeah well not really no it's, it's cecile. french yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and uh the so we we covered that you know that very interesting tweet. The other thing I wanted to uh, bring up before uh, we got into the interview with Melanie is uh, the conversation of of Me Too, and and we we talk about how you know I was impacted by seeing you know the big social media presence of you know all these women finally coming forward about uh, their experiences, and you know how it broke my heart to see so many women that I knew who had you know been at the hand of male violence and, and, and male sexual violence. And this is, of course, a conversation that bleeds over into uh, classical music all the time. And uh, a couple months back, um, the violinist uh, Laura St. John uh, came forward um, and and named her accuser and, uh, and where it all happened, which was the Curtis Institute of Music. And I have a couple articles here. And, you know, if, if you want more information about this, just Google Laura St. John um, sexual assault or something. And as I mentioned in my interview with Melanie, I'm only naming her because she has come forward. And sure. I think it's so important to be aware of stories like these. So um, she talks about how uh, when she was uh, a student um, at the Curtis Institute, how she faced um, sexual assault. And um, in the uh, in the article that I'm uh, scanning here from the uh, Philadelphia the Philadelphia Inquirer, it says that um, when she first came out about it, you know, when it happened, what she was told was, "Oh, no one's going to believe you. That these teachers are are world class. They're beyond reproach. They're, they're beyond reproach. No, no one is going to believe you." And she she kept forward and she pressed on until the Curtis Institute was forced to you know, deal with this, what was, was forced to take this head on. And their initial response wasn't much of um, an apology. Basically, they were saying, um, we sincerely regret that our past institutional culture may not have always provided the safety net needed to thoroughly address the full gamut of our community needs. What sort of apology is that to a woman who was sexually assaulted at your institution, you know? And, and they got all sorts of flack for that. And and following that, the um, the institution, you know, put out a second statement saying that, you know, they just didn't address it correctly. They never actually apologized to Laura St. John, mm-hmm. um, and, and they've done that. And, of course, that does not absolve them uh, of, of the issues that they've had. But it's so important to to hear these stories and listen to these stories and demand honest, uh, you know, to honestly demand 
um, responses from from these people in charge because that was that that's someone's life and that's that's something she has to carry with her for the rest of her life. And, right, and ugh. that that really feeds into when you and Melanie were talking about the bravery that is required for a person to step forward and um, make the claim and come right. come clean, because especially in the environment that we live in today, people can harass you and not even need to be in front of you. Right. Um, and what do they call it? Doxing? Mm-hmm. You know, like... Uh, like Putting all, all your stuff out like there. Like your right? address is out there and your phone and where you work and your family members might be yeah. put in danger. You know, this is no joke. So when uh, when a woman comes forward with these accusations, it takes a tremendous amount of guts the bottom line is that um, I would I would say that I would venture a guess that I don't know if I have the courage to do what many women are doing right now. Absolutely. So you know, I, I take my hat off to yeah. every woman who um, has stepped forward. Um, you know, I in my work in my life, I do my best to always find ways that I can impact change and make a difference. You know, as as a man and um, and yeah, I think conversations like the one I have with Melanie are are very important. You know, like, like I mentioned, she, you know, opened my eyes to so many things when we were working together down at WUOT. Um, so it was really a, a pleasure of mine to uh, be able to connect with her and uh, and offer a conversation uh, between the two of us for you today. So uh, how about we uh, get into it, Melanie? So great to talk with you again. Thanks for sitting down with me. Oh, thanks for giving me this opportunity. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, uh, when I uh, saw Todd, shout out to Todd Steed, when I saw him uh, here at PRPD a few weeks ago, you know, we were talking about you and singing your praises, you know, as a as a classical host in Knoxville for, you know, about 10 years now, you're a real institution in in, in that town. <laughs> how, how, does, how does that feel? It feels really good. Um, yeah, I don't know how this happened. It just all of a sudden... I realized I'd been here for 10 years, but, um, you know, I just, I love my job so much. I love Knoxville and I love, <laughs> it sounds corny, but I mean, you know, I love the station and everyone who works here. It's, I'm very fortunate. So, um, hopefully another 10, 20 more. We'll see. I don't know. Do, do you have any aspirations of becoming a, a, a PD yourself or a, a music director or anything like that? Music director. I, I don't know if I could handle the pressure of being a program director. That's a lot of decisions. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if I could handle that, but yeah. I don't know. we'll see. Yeah, I think One I feel the, time. I think I feel the same way. But, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, making changes and uh, evolving this art form, it seems like positions of power you know, that, that's where you kind of have to be to, to really make some of these changes. But, you know, I definitely know um, being a WUOT alum myself, and you can speak to the fact that uh, Todd and all the other staff members really give you autonomy over your programming and what you want listeners to hear. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the things that I love most about my job is that um, they really do trust the host to um produce their own program and to, you know, kind of infuse it with their own personality and their own experiences. And because of that, um, I feel like I do have an opportunity to kind of make an impact or make a change in, in the music that I choose to play. And um, I love that. 
And you're um, from Appalachia originally, so you, you can really, you know, uh, program your music and, and really uh, curate all of the sounds for uh, a, an audience that, uh, you know, the, the music speaks to their experience and, and, and y'all's environment down there. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I, I love such a wide variety of music um, from bluegrass to classical and um, pop and musical theater. And I try to get a little sprinkling of all of that in my programming. So it's not just um, traditional classical. And, and one of the exciting things that's happening in classical music nowadays, I think, is sort of the fusion of styles together. Um, so, you know, you have fusion of ambient with classical and bluegrass and classical. Um, so I love introducing that music to our audiences, and um, I love listening to it myself. But, I mean, I just think it's fresh and exciting, and, um, you know, it just keeps the, the classical music world that much more interesting, I think. For folks listening who don't know you, how about you give them a, sort of a brief background uh, about, you know, how you got into music and how that led you into classical music radio? Okay. Um, <laughs> gosh, that's a long story. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I can summarize. Um, so I am a pianist. I, I started playing when I was four years old and, and uh, went to Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina to study piano performance and music therapy. Go. I, I forget the mascot there. Nears. Mountaineers. Go Nears. Go Nears. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, and then uh, a couple of years after graduating, I decided to go back to grad school at the University of Tennessee to, sell, um, to study collaborative piano because I really love collaborating with other musicians and making, making music with other musicians. Um, so I decided to focus on that. And while I was in school, I, I needed a, a weekend job and they were looking for student announcers here at WUOT. So I um, signed up for that because I just thought it would it sounded like a lot of fun, and it yeah. fit my schedule, and I thought, why not? Let's try. Let's go for it. And uh, I ended up loving it, and um, they kept me on as a weekend announcer as they sort of phased out the student announcers with automation. And uh, and then the morning concert host retired, and um, they kept me on, and um, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, and, <laughs> and uh, the morning concert happens from uh, 9 to noon Eastern time at WUOT. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder if there uh, is a, a sort of music that, uh, you know, when I hear the phrase morning concert, I think about morning music. Do you think about the time of day when you're putting your show together? I do. I do a little bit. Um, I, I, I don't start off my show with anything too bombastic mm -hmm. or... Um, challenging. Um, what I try to do, and this is kind of a challenge, because what, what I try to do, we're, the morning concert comes out of morning edition, and I mm -hmm. want to keep some of those news listeners. So I try to think, you know, what what's going to keep their ear hooked? Um, and I don't really know what that, it could be different for every person. So, you know, sometimes I'll start off with a, a really familiar overture or maybe something um new and different to listen to, or maybe a little, a little bit of movie music. Um, so just kind of start off with something short and ear catching, hopefully, and um, move into, I don't know, easier listening 
music at first, and then towards the end, I get a little bit more adventuresome with my programming. Yeah, and that's what I always love to hear. But <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but back when I was, uh, you know, living in Knoxville and working with you at WUOT, I remember, you know, one of the first things I would listen to each morning is your show. I would uh, I would actually use the app. I wouldn't turn on a radio, but I would use the, the phone app. And just to, you know, see what kind of mood you're in for the day. And, <laughs> and I feel like I could tell based on those first few pieces, you know, especially... You know, um, and uh, as I'm sure you are, I'm thinking about this time next year when we'll be in the heat of all of these uh, election, uh, all of the election drama. So uh, I, I remember uh, last year, maybe during the inauguration or something, you made sure the music was extra calming, extra soothing for people to center themselves. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I try to think about, you know, what's what's going on in um current events and um, what kind of music might be needed in response to that. So, yeah, I, I remember that day. Um, I, I think I needed it my, myself personally. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was feeling a lot of anxiety that day. Um, and I, I think I think a lot of people were. Um, but I, I heard from a number of listeners who actually really, really appreciated that program. So programming um, on that particular day. So I think it did help some people and speak to some people. Oh, man, and hearing you tell that story is just making me miss just being there at WUOT and, you know, thinking about how complimentary our shows were because I think I took the more angry approach. But <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, I, <laughs> I love that. I thought it was great. Now, uh, b- before we get too um, far away, um, you know, in your um, it, when you were talking about your background, you said that you uh, went to the University of Tennessee to study um, collaborative um, art art. Uh, you know, to be a collaborative artist, a collaborative pianist. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a conversation that I know the two of us have had a lot, you know, collaborative pianist versus that um, that other A word that we all hate, accompanist. <laughs> uh, for, for, for folks who just have no idea the nuance of using the phrase collaborative artist or collaborative pianist, uh, talk to them why that is so important as opposed to the word accompanist. Uh, I love that question. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, it's, it's, I guess, I don't know, I jokingly say it's the PC term for accompanying, but um, it, it just elevates the the pianist to an an equal role of, to their musical partner. A lot of times when you hear the word accompanist, you think um, a subordinate role or Mm -hmm. a background, but so much of the literature that is written for, um, a solo instrument and piano accompaniment is very much a partnership. Yeah. Um, and so by saying collaborative piano, I feel like that um, elevates the role of the pianist to, to that equal partnership. Um, and a collaborative pianist also refers to not just, you know, when you think of like a, maybe a sonata for violin and, and piano, but it can also refer to a pianist who um, plays for a choir, which is something that I sort of specialize in. And that mm-hmm. is a very different type of accompanying. Um, as a choral accompanist, you're not just plunking out notes. You're listening to the sections in the choir and you're trying to pick out, okay, which which section is struggling here? How can I help out the, the director? Um, what can I bring his or her attention to that needs to be uh, focused on you're like an extra set of ears for the director and then of course you know you have to learn the accompaniment which sometimes can be very uh challenging depending on the piece and and so depending on the of... performers i'm sure <laughs> yes yes um yeah so it's a lot of different things and um the program at the university of tennessee 
really focuses a lot on vocal coaching, which is an entirely different sect of being a collaborative pianist. Um, So, you know, being a vocal coach for an opera company is a very demanding, um, challenging job. So it's, um, I I think that term is a little bit more encompassing for the uh, variety of roles that a pianist can can have, not as a soloist. Right. And, you know, as times change and, and, and as we uh, move forward, I feel like more folks are, are privy to that sort of language and the culture uh, behind that language. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that's just one of the many things that um, I, I learned from you, from uh, working with you. I'm sure, um, you know, over, over your tenure as a radio host, um, things have, have changed a lot. And uh, recently, you know, with the, with the rise of the um, hashtag me Too movement, um, the the International uh, Women's March that's been uh, getting a lot of uh, getting a lot of attention lately. Um, you've taught me that there are conversations there within classical music. Before we get too deep into that conversation, I'm just curious: are is this something that um, you've always been thinking about? Maybe in year two or three, as as morning concert host, were you uh, thinking about some of the inequities that women see in classical music as it applies to your programming? Not really. No. Um, It's definitely been something that's evolved over the years. Um, I mean, I guess, I don't know, the first the first moment I can think about was when I was in grad school and I was taking a vocal lit class and we learned about the songs of Clara Schumann, who was not a composer that I'd really learned about Mm -hmm. even in undergrad, which is it's terrible. Um, I mean, she's a brilliant composer and pianist and very important figure to, to learn about, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, and I just learned about all of the beautiful songs that, that she wrote and um, that, you know, piqued my interest. And I kind of thought, well, why, why am I just now learning about her? And, um, you know, I, I think I programmed some of her music and uh, Amy Beach is another composer. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of the well-known female composers. Um, And I think maybe the second thing that kind of heightened my interest in, in, in uh, letting that in allowing that to influence my programming was an interview that I did with a composer, Sarah Kirkland Snyder. Mm, And she, she was a guest uh, at the big years festival or one of her compositions was performed there. And we spoke about the challenges that she encountered as a, a woman composer, and I was really surprised to hear about all of the many challenges that she encountered. Um, and so that kind of made me think about it a little bit more. And then um, just hearing and reading more articles written from uh, female conductors and their experiences, and then with the Me Too movement, um, each one of these events has really kind of heightened my um knowledge and awareness of how little focus is given to uh, women composers and uh, conductors in particular. And um, so, yeah, it's really changed how I looked at that and and how I program a little bit. You know, one of the conversations that I found most challenging when we talk about uh, 
racial equity and gender equity in classical music is identifying why we have to have these conversations. From from your perspective, why do you think Clara Schumann, why, why do you think names like hers have uh, have been buried uh, for, for so long? What, what, what do you think the forces are or the powers that be that, that maintain that uh, status quo in classical music? That's a... That's a complex question, it I think, is, or isn't a complex it? Yeah. answer. <laughs> um, I mean, number one, just the majority of music has been written by white men, um, just in, in percentages. Um, and, but secondly, like, it, women just didn't compose. They weren't allowed to. You know, it wasn't socially acceptable. Um, the few uh, brave women who did... Um, you know, Fanny Mendelssohn comes to mind. Well, she she wrote music, but she couldn't publish it, although her mm. her brother did under her name. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know. So it's just like all of these challenges that prohibited women from composing or um, from their works being published or respected. I think, um, and so they were just kind of ignored, or um, you know, I think their music was often looked upon as oh, that's that's nice light music to be performed in the home, but isn't meant for the concert stage. And so maybe it wasn't shared in that way. Um, and I mean, I can say for myself that it's not something that I intentionally thought about programming until really the, this year. Um, so I was, I was in a meeting, um, not work-related, I'll say that. I was okay. in a meeting, and we were discussing programming. And someone in the meetings mentioned programming uh, an entire show featuring women composers. And another person in the meeting said that, well, there aren't very many female composers to choose from. And I knew that to be untrue. And at first, I was really kind of angry at this person. Yeah, as you should have been. <laughs> and then I thought, well... We're not hearing them. We're, I mean, I'm not playing them very much on the radio, and um, you know, and it's really the same handful of of women composers. I can do better. You know, what can I do to share this music with our audiences and to educate them and to let them know there are many, many women composing out there. Their music just isn't being heard. And so I, I made a personal challenge to myself from that day. This was, uh, I think, it was in March to program at least one work by a woman composer on my show every day. And I'm happy to say that I have done that. And um, I've repeated composers a couple times, but I haven't repeated pieces of music. And there's still so much more to hear. And I am learning about so many composers that are brand new to me. And um, it's just been a really exciting, fulfilling uh, challenge for myself to discover these women who are writing fantastic music and sharing it with our audiences. Yeah, and I love that goal of yours, having a piece of music by a woman on every for every show. You know, my personal um, challenge to myself uh, since I came here to American Public Media was to make sure that every hour of my programming um, includes, you know, either uh, a piece of music by um, a person of color, a woman, or a living composer. And and more, I have to say, more often than not, 
I meet that personal requirement of mine by incorporating music by a woman. Um, I, and there's so many names that I've learned, you know, like uh, Cecile Chaminot, who I, who I had never heard of, or, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, a lot of these um, living uh, women composers who, who, who really offer, um, you know, a, a different perspective on this music. And you know, along with that personal goal of mine came, um, you know, a, a look at how I talk about this music and, and my language. And I tend to use the word woman or woman composer as it applies to the conversation or my presentation of the music. And I know a lot of people will say um, female composer. Um, do you have a personal opinion or or, or, or any sort of a way of thinking when it comes to the words the word woman versus the word female in, in relation to these conversations? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually use them interchangeably and I will, I, I perhaps I don't know like the, the correct usage of each word, but I, I, I interchange them equally, I think. Yeah, and, and the only reason I, I kind of, um, you know, dedicate myself to using the word woman because female is, you know, a hu- uh, a woman is a female human from from my perspective and and of course i always listen and i always make sure that you know i'm not uh making these decisions without making sure um that i'm you know trying to learn from uh women or or female humans how, you know even talking to you now about this i i feel like i have to tread lightly because i don't want to say the the wrong thing but you know th- these these days you know a lot of people respond to uh conversations like these um, by saying, oh, well, I have to, you know, I, I have to be so careful. And um, it's it's considered by many a radical idea to have these conversations. And, um, you know, I, I again, I, I leave it to if I have the opportunity to listen to a woman talk to me about these issues, um, I do. And, and, and that can be a challenge for me. But, you know, it, it's also a I consider it a, a a blessing, uh, if, if you will, you know, a, a privilege to really get to get to have those conversations and, and change music uh, for the future. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's really important that we have these conversations. Absolutely. Well, what do you say to the person um, who says, well, the music is just the music. Why does it matter who wrote it? Or why, do, why does it matter to, to showcase the fact that this composer uh, was a woman or a woman of color or whatever? What's your response to that thinking? That's a good question. Um, I don't think I've ever had anyone ask me that. Oh, I but... definitely have. <laughs> wow. Um, well, I mean, I think as women, we have a different perspective. We have a different voice, and it deserves to be heard. And especially when we're talking about, um, well, I don't know if I should say especially, but, um, you know, in the past and the 19th century, well, I mean, even today, all of the challenges that women encountered to try to pursue their art you know I think that deserves to be that story needs to be told and um and not ignored you know not just like here's another piece of music by a composer yeah I don't know I I think it is important to to note that this was written by a woman and here are the challenges that she encountered to create this piece of art you know yeah I'll, yeah I'll give you an example so um you know, one one evening I was airing music by um, Amy Marcy Shaney Beach. I always mm-hmm. I, I tend to say her full name, <laughs> and Love it. Um, and I you know I kind of told the story about how her music 
um, for many years was published under the name HHA Beach, you know, her, mm-hmm. her husband's name, and mm-hmm. how, you know, finally we're, we're uh, recognizing her, uh, even, you know, all the way down to saying her name when it comes to this music. And, and someone basically came to me with, well, I mean, that is her name. She is Mrs. HHA Beach. What, 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 what's the problem? But, uh, you know, I, I feel like I have to constantly combat all of this sort of thing. And from my, and I'm, I'm curious uh, your opinion of this, but from my perspective, that sort of thing wasn't so innocent. It, it seemed more purposeful considering uh, the environment um, Amy lived in. You know, her husband didn't want her touring and, and, and getting her music out there because he believed that she, uh, you know, should be in the home, you know, just like many mm-hmm. men of, of that day did, maybe uh, some men now. And for me, that's why that perspective uh, is important. What, what, what's your take on that story specifically of Amy Marcy Shaney Beach? Oh, I get kind of angry when I think about that. Um, <laughs> go off. Go ahead and go off. <laughs> um, you know, music is a part of yourself, especially, I mean, if you're performing or writing it, you know, that's coming from you. That's something that you create. And to think that somebody would, I mean, even in a, in a husband-wife um, relationship, um, which, of course, is very close, but for and, someone— And was different in those days as well, that dynamic. Yes, that is true. Um, but for someone to try to take ownership of something that someone else created, um, especially something so personal, I don't know. I just—I think that is—that's um, just wrong. And, uh, <laughs> um, and, I mean, I know, like, times were, were different back then, and um, traditions were different, expectations were different. But, I, I mean, I think the fact that she had to publish her music under the name of Mrs. H.H.A. Beach is so telling as to the challenges that women encountered and just what society expected of them and how society viewed them as secondary or lesser than um and you know why why we probably don't hear their music more often you know because they just they were silenced and and it, and it makes me cringe it almost makes you know makes my eyes water to think about all of the women whose music we will never get to hear and mm-hmm. who we'll never know about because um of that silencing and, and, you know, quelling um, their experiences. And, you know, when I think about the word silencing, um, I think about the opposite, you know, really stepping forward and and making your voice known. Um, I I think I mentioned earlier the the Me Too movement. And, you know, there was a day, uh, at, at least on social media, when it seems like all of that came to a head. I saw all of these women on my timeline talking about, their contemporary challenges as women, many of which who have uh, been uh, sexually abused, sexually assaulted during their lives, and for it to be such a um, a common thing just among the women in my networks really broke my heart. I, I, I had no idea, and and that changed my whole per- perspective on um, on everything. And, you know, that's even crossed over into the world of, of classical music. I'm, I'm sure you've heard um, the story of Laura St. John, and I only name her because she has since come out with, um, you know, with her side of the story um, as as all of that relates to her time at the, at the Curtis uh, Institute. Ha- have you heard about that? Oh, yes. What, what, yes. what was your reaction to, to hearing about that? I was initially shocked 
and then um, just a mixture of emotions, anger and disgust at her um, instructor there and admiration for her bravery and um, just, yeah, all of those things at once. I mean, and and when we use, you know, we we often use the word bravery, but sometimes I I think we kind of gloss over how brave you have to be to 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 come out and and accuse, you know, a, a member of such a big classical music uh, institution uh, of something like that. Can can you speak to why we we call uh, women brave? Because I I feel like we we don't spend quite enough time even acknowledging that truth. I mean, I think it's because you don't know what the reaction is going to be when you come out with this truth that's very um, personal and traumatic and you share it with the world and you don't know what that reaction is going to be. You don't know if it's going to be, you know, you're going to have to relive these events all over again and keep defending yourself all over again. And, And what's the outcome going to be? Is this person going to be punished? Is it going to change anything What's the point? You know, these are all of the questions that women ask themselves, you know, is it worth the battle? And I think with the Me Too movement, you know, we are seeing that it is worth the battle because everything is finally coming out in the open and people are realizing that these kinds of things happen all too often and it's not acceptable. And, um, but it's only because... Uh, people are being brave and coming forward and telling their stories, regardless of um, what that uh, reaction might be from people. And, you know, and I know that I- I've read, you know, on the social media, yeah. um, people attacking her and questioning her story and not believing her. And then on the flip side, many, many people supporting her and, um, you know, uh, applauding her for her bravery. So it's... um. I, I think she's a very strong person, and um, yeah, it took a lot of courage for her to come forward. Have you uh, ha- have you been able to address these conversations on the air on 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 the radio during during the morning concert? Um, oh, not really, not really. I would say that um, I, I did play a piece of music. Oh gosh. Is it Jesse Montgomery? Hashtag me, me too. Did she write that? Oh, I'm not sure if she did, but but shout out to Jesse Montgomery. You know, a, a, <laughs> a, a, a very important living woman composer. Yes, yes. Um, well, it's uh, the Chicago Symphonietta's new release uh, called the W Project, that which is conducted by Mayan Chen. It has a piece uh, on yes. it. Yes, and, and we actually featured that uh, uh, recording uh, n- not too long ago. My, my boss, uh, Julie Amacher, she she has a, a weekly special called New Classical Tracks, and I think last week or the week before that was the the featured uh, recording. Oh, it's a it is a fantastic album. Um, yeah. just a really great selection of music. Um, but there is a piece with uh, called Hashtag Me Too on there, and so you know I talked about that piece and what it's about and, and um, you know, what the liner notes say about the, the composer's um, impetus for writing that. And so in that way, you know, I indirectly kind of talk about it, but um, that's a challenging topic to address on a classical show. It is. I know. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, because people always want to separate music from the rest of the world, um, 
But my argument is that that music exists in the world, so it has connections to everything that goes on in the world, good, bad, and everything in between. And, I, I, you know, I think the conversation we've had here so far is just proof of that, that the, the oppressive culture um, that women have had to live under historically also applies to the women who tried to write music. And then that manifests in our knowledge uh, of that music. And yeah, it, it can be such a, a difficult topic, but again, an, an important one to to kind of realize, you, you know? I mean, I, I don't know. And, and I know that we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the separation of the music versus, you know, the news or, or whatever's happening in the world. But for me, when there's such a direct connection, I can't help but to dig into that. Absolutely, yeah. Um... I think I find it easiest to talk about when it's through the music. Um, like, actually, when you were just talking, it came to mind um, the opera that, or the composer who won the Pulitzer Prize in music this year, it was for, oh gosh, wait, what is her name? Ellen Reed, um, for her opera Prism, which um, is about the topic of of rape and sexual assault. And so I was fortunate to interview her uh, and uh, to interview her about that work. And so we talked about that topic through that piece of music. Um, so I think with those opportunities where you're able to, you know, speak with artists and do interviews, you can get a little bit more in depth into these topics. Yeah. And uh, er earlier today, I, I shared with you um, a tweet that I saw. I'm not going to give that that man a shout out because I don't particularly <laughs> think he deserves one. But basically in his tweet, he was talking about how this quote unquote equity is just an attack on the white male. Well, <laughs> talk, g give me your reaction to that. <laughs> That is ridiculous. Isn't it? Um, <laughs> and what's scary, and, and, and if I can just quickly add, what's scary to me about statements like that is that he's in a a, a position of power in, in classical yes. music. You know. Yes. Yeah. I uh, so you sent me that tweet, and I, I didn't I didn't know who it was, and I did a little googling and found out who he was, and was shocked that yes, he's in a, a place of power, and um, that I don't know why it surprised me. Um, I guess I just hoped that people with in that position uh, would be a little bit more, um, I don't know, what's the word, respectful and um, worldly? I yeah. don't know. I, I can't think of the word. but Or just more aware, you know? Yes, aware. That's the word. Um, but sadly, no, that's not the case. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's not an attack on, on white men at all. I mean... Necessarily. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's, their music is still going to be performed and heard in the majority, for sure. I mean, even like take myself for example. You know, I'm I'm programming one one piece in a three hour show a day by a woman composer, and I mean these can vary in length from five minutes to an hour, you yeah. know, depending on the piece of music. And the rest of the show is, you know, it's mostly Beethoven and Schumann and Chopin, and you know they're it's it's just um just because we are focusing on equal representation and equality doesn't mean that it's like going to take away from anyone else i don't understand why anyone would think that i mean it's, you know they're obviously feeling attacked for whatever right, reason and, right they're feeling threatened 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, so somebody I've read a lot of is uh, Malcolm X. I know a lot of people find him problematic. Uh, I like his writing. And one thing he said was that racism only exists where there's a threat. And I feel like when we talk about gender equity, uh, specifically in classical music, there are folks that are beginning to feel threatened. And um, I don't, you know, as as a man, I'm not a white man, but as as a man, I don't particularly feel threatened by gender equity as much as I feel excited that we get to learn more and that we and that we get to to um, hear from composers and hear from artists who have uh, historically been been overlooked. Absolutely, and I mean, I think as I said earlier, you know, women have a different perspective, and. I think it only enriches our, um, you know, experience as human beings and, you know, it should be heard. And if, you know, and if any man feels threatened by what a woman can do, you know, let that be a challenge and just, you know, make yourself that much better. I don't know. I mean, I just I don't understand why. Why we all can't just well, well, you're, collaborate. You're more polite than I am. I'll say if there are <laughs> any men that feel threatened by this, they can just go lay down. Just go take a nap, and maybe when you wake up, you'll feel better. All right. So, <laughs> um, so you know, uh, and, and there's so many, um, you know, organizations, so many classical music institutions that are, you know, uh, you know, being equitable and really tackling this uh, subject in a real way. And one of them um, is the American Composers Forum. You know, I'm very proud to. Uh, sit on the board uh, of the ACF, and uh, it's currently run by a very phenomenal woman. Shout out to Vanessa Rose. And um, at the at our last board meeting, a conversation came up that is a little that I found especially um, challenging. So um, in in regroup, I'll give you a little background in regrouping the organization's um, core uh, values. Um, you know, the ACF has decided that they're going to focus on racial equity. And the conversation came up, well, what does that mean for white women? Are we are we leaving their work out of this? And um, the argument was that white women have a level of privilege that uh, women of color or, dis, uh, or or women who live with disabilities may not um, may not experience in their lives. Um, I'm still wrestling with that in my mind. Do you, as a white woman, I'll, I have to ask you: Do you feel like you hold a level of privilege that other women don't? Um, I mean, I think that. I mean, I'll short answer: Yes. Um, I came. I came from a really fortunate background. I mean, my my parents worked really hard. You know, they and they weren't millionaires by any by any means, but they could always afford lessons for me and they could buy a piano and um, I didn't have to work while I was in high school you know I could focus on my music and then went to I was able to go to college so you know I'm very grateful for those opportunities that were available to me that I recognize are not available to ev- to everyone you know um, uh, who you know may not be able to afford music lessons or to go to college or right. you know, maybe they have to to work their way through high school and they can't focus on their, um, their passions. And so in that way, I definitely recognize my privilege, um, in terms of like, I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll end it there. Well, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and I know that's a tough question. I really, I really have to, to, to thank you for, 
you know, uh, traversing it the best way you can, because, you know, as I've mentioned, as a man, many of these conversations for me are uncomfortable. And it's really been a journey for me to recognize where my privileges lie in, in, in it all. And, you know, for me, I just think it's most important if, if you're thinking about those things and acknowledging those things, it, it plays a role into how you traverse some of the conversations and in turn, how you do your work. And, you know, I, I, I you know, you mentioned Jesse Montgomery. I know that you um, make sure to uh, air and promote and celebrate music um, by all women. And um, mm-hmm. and and again, I, I appreciate you uh, for that. And I, and I appreciate you, you know, being, a you know, tapping into that vulnerable place in this conversation, because I know that's not easy. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, of course, I do not have the perspective of, of a woman of color, and I would love to learn more about that perspective and their experiences. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like as women, we're all on the same team. We're all, um, have the same goals in mind. So that's how I look at it. You know, I, I hope that we all just work together and support each other in, um, our pursuit for equality. And hopefully men like myself know when, you know, we when we need to sit back and listen, you know, and, and listen to these conversations <laughs> and allow women to, to, to lead the charge on certain things, you know, just so that we aren't co-opting and perpetuating a complex and, and, and a culture that has resulted uh, in what it's resulted. Um, mm-hmm. So thanks to, um, you know, all of the all of the magic of editing and and button pushing, this is coming out. Um, the same week as uh, your pledge drive uh, down there in Knoxville. Um, quickly, uh, can, you, can you quickly talk to me just about uh, the importance of those sorts of things as it applies to, to public radio and why it's important for everyone to um, support their local public radio station? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we are listener-supported public radio. Um, I know it's it's different for every station, but... Um, by far, our, large, our largest percentage of funding comes from our listeners, and that's a good thing because when we choose our programming, we're not answering to some corporation who has given us a bunch of money. We are answering— Headed by white our, men. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, we are, we are answering to, to our listeners, and, um, you know, and we have, we have so many listeners here in Knoxville. I mean, um, and if— if everyone out there listened, you know, gave what they were able to, and then we would, you know, our fun drive would be over in a day, probably even a, a couple of hours. Yeah. Um, but another reason why it's important to support pu- your local public radio station, wherever you may be, wherever you're listening, is that it really is a part of your community. And this is something that I'm realizing more and more um, in that, you know, not just with the community events that we, um, you know, try to help out with and participate in. But, um, well, I mean, largely through that. But, you know, we 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 do work together with local organizations during the, the fund drive and also throughout the year and with local businesses who partner with us. So, I mean, it all just works together. You know, when you shop at your local business, then they're giving back to the community. And I don't know, I'm just realizing more and more the importance of... Um, becoming involved in your community and supporting that local aspect as opposed to the greater, bigger organizations Yeah, and who don't really have a face, you know? Right, right. And, of course, listener support helps to uh, keep 
folks like me in as many communities as possible, you know, through music through the night. So, That's right. so, so if you're listening to Knoxville, if you're wherever you are, find a way to um, support your public radio station. At Melanie, as we say all the time, no amount is too large or too small. Um, and, That's and, right. And, and oh, I'm, you're bringing back memories. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to go into my pledge drive mode right now, but, but, but yeah. Again, if you're listening, find out a way to give you know fifteen dollars to your public radio station. You 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 never know uh, how how far that sort of thing can go, and mm-hmm. in turn how um, how you can change the life of a listener or someone who works in public radio. I'll um, but before I let you go, I'll shout out uh, Greg Hill and uh, Todd Steed who. You know, without any radio experience at all, gave me a chance, and yeah, my 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 whole life has has definitely changed. So public radio is something I'll always hold dear. Uh, and if you're listening, listening, I hope you can uh, find a way to uh, engage your local public radio station. Melanie, how can folks uh, reach out to you if they would like to know more information about you? How can they listen uh, to the morning concert? And yeah, I'll, I'll give give us all of your uh, give us all of your uh, deets. <laughs> Gladly. Um, you can email me at mgdodson, that's D-O-D-S-O-N, at U-T-K dot E-D-U. You can listen to my show. It's uh, 9 a.m. to noon. That's Eastern Standard Time. And you can stream us online at WUOT.org or download our awesome app. I think it's WUOT FM Radio or something like that. And um, let's see. Am I leaving anything out? I, th- I think that you have a you have a uh, you have a Facebook page, an artist page. I do, I do yeah. Uh, just search for Melanie Dodson, radio host, music director, and you should find me there. And uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and if there's anyone listening right now who uh, maybe needs to be pointed in the right direction as far as uh, uncovering music written by women. Who are who are a few names that come to your top of your mind? Who who do people need to know when it comes to women who have written music? Definitely Clara Schumann yep. and uh, Amy Beach. These are two of my favorites. Um, trying you, to think of some more. You've already mentioned Sarah Kirkland Snyder. Mm-hmm. I I love her music. She really fuses together um, sort of pop elements with classical, and I, I find it really interesting to listen to. Um, I'll tell you, I've been listening to a lot of Clarissa Saad lately. I think she oh, really I has some phenomenal her. stuff. Yes, I love her music as well. Big fan. Jennifer Higdon, of course. Oh, yeah, Amazing. Pulitzer Prize winner, Grammy winner. Yeah, from East Tennessee, so shout That's out again right. to East Tennessee. Yep. And, and then I always throw into the hat, of course, the late great Florence Price for really, uh, oh, for yeah. really championing, uh, championing uh, music by uh, women of color, specifically black women. So much music out there to discover. Um, Melanie, you've been so uh, generous with your time. Thanks so much. And, uh, and tell everyone down at WUOT, I say hello. I will indeed. It's been great to talk to you, Garrett. Thank you. Melanie Dodson from WUOT in conversation with Garrett McQueen formerly of WUOT. Garrett, um, listening to you guys talk about um, your fun drives at WOT just warmed me up all over again. It reminds me of the time spent doing fun drives at KVNO. It was um, it was just such a, a feeling of a team effort, you know, that we were uh, a, a Davy fighting Goliath, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, something like that. So I, I it was great to hear you guys reminisce about all the time that you had together, especially fundraising. That's a uh, an important time. Yeah, you know, 
I didn't listen to much public radio before I started working for public radio. So, you know, I think WUOT was a really phenomenal training ground for me. I, I went in there with no experience. My first pledge drive was actually, I'm trying to think, it was not long after I had started. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. think maybe three weeks and then I had to, oh, you know, do a pledge drive. But, you know, <laughs> the the team down there is just so amazing. And, and like I said uh, in my interview, please, um, whether you're listening um, where we are here in Minnesota or, or wherever your local public radio station is, call them today and give, I don't know, $10, $15. Cause the, the, the smallest bit, uh, goes the, the furthest, you know, the, the furthest distance as this is airing, uh, as I mentioned in the interview, it's WUOT's, uh, membership drive, their pledge drive. So, uh, so yeah, give them a, especially if you're listening down there, give them a call and uh, I, I would say the phone number, maybe the phone number has changed since then, but, you know, they, they have the phone number on their website, WUOT.org. If you're listening, I'm sure it gets repeated over and over again. So, uh, so, so please uh, make your contribution. Scott, you know, a lot of people, um, we talk about how important pledge drives are and how much we love to do them, but the reality is a lot of people just hate listening to it, you know, just sure. Yeah, it, it seems like an interruption in their life. Well, what is, uh, what's your response to the person who says, Oh, I hate listening to the pledge drive. I can't wait till it's over. Contribute and, and it will over. happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's people that like to wait and be one of the last ones to get you over the finish line. Yeah. Okay. I know that that's exciting, but please do it early. Yeah. Okay. So it'll cut down. <laughs> Seriously, it'll cut down. Yeah. Well, uh, and 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 one of my big pitches always on uh, pledge drives is that we have to make sure that this public radio is here for the next generation, so that you know other folks can can uh, get to hear it for for many more years. And on the next opus of Triloquy, uh, we actually you know dive into conversations with the next generation. So earlier this year, I went to um, a, a local school uh, here in St. Paul, the Jennings School, and um, I asked the kids a question. I said, what is your favorite, quote unquote, classical music? And when um, before I asked them that question, I defined the word classical as music that's classic to an experience or a culture. So there are some kids who, you know, had some classical music that they were able to talk to me about. But I also wanted to validate the kids who um, may not necessarily know much about classical music. Yeah. So on the next opus of Triloquy is going to be a sort of rhapsody uh, in which we hear from different kids what their favorite sorts of music is, why they consider it classic to their experiences. Uh, so yeah, that, I'm 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 looking forward to us uh, diving into that and hearing what some of these kids had to say. We're going back to school next time on Triloquy. Now, uh, as a special special shout out to uh, WUOT and their pledge drive, Scott, I thought we would um, end uh, today's opus with uh, a little jingle that I wrote that Melanie and I actually performed together live on the air. I brought my ukulele into the control room. Melanie had a kazoo and we, uh, and, and we it's sang, good. and we sang a little song to the melody of, uh, Champs-Élysées, the, uh, the famous, uh, French, uh, pop tune. So, nice. so I, did we, I don't know if we actually titled this song, but it's called the WUOT jingle. So here it is. Thanks for listening. It's Pledge Drive Week at UOT. We need your help so that we can give to you the programming you love and you need. We ask that you pick up your phone and make a pledge. Then you'll know you've done your part to keep us here for tunes and the news. 
Thank you. 